couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, let's do this. Take our uh, tithes and our offering baskets, and there it came down this way. I guess whatever way they went on this side, I don't really know. Take our baskets, pass them back down for our tithes and offerings. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Steve Hambrick, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, I want, if you could, just put your Connect card in that basket, and uh, I'll try to shoot you all an email this week. I don't think I got to those of you. If you were here last week, I told you I might not get to your uh, email this week. I don't think I got your, your emails out this week for your first-time guest. So I'll do my best to get them out this week. So. Um, anyway, we're glad that you're here. For those of you uh, who were able to give uh, financially in the first uh, three, uh, first three quarters of whatever it is, three quarters of the first nine months of the year, we are sending out kind of your giving statements and a letter with it this month, and I'm, or this, excuse me, this week. And I'm telling you this for this reason. Um, I, in it, we put up, it about a page letter in there, and I know most of the time you get letters from me, you just throw them out, which I understand completely, right? But this one I ask that you would please read it. Basically what we've done is we've kind of just uh, shared some thoughts with you coming into the holiday season. Now, for mo- at least I know none of you do this, but for most people in America, this is the season they go in debt, right? This is the season where they spend too much money because they feel guilty not buying a gift they really shouldn't buy, right? And so uh, you get your kids who are pressing, pushing, pushing, pushing. So we put some just really, really practical advice in there on how you can not be an idiot with your finances during this last quarter, right, coming into the holiday season. So I just want to encourage you to read that. And uh, you may not have to do everything that's in there, uh, but it's just some real, real practical advice in there. I wish I could remember what some of them were. I really can't. I wrote that a few, day, a few couple weeks ago, but um, just but just look at that. And if you didn't get that letter and you would like to get it, I can just shoot it to you in an email. And um, so it has all that stuff in there, and I think you would enjoy it. All right, a couple of things. Number one, uh, Randall didn't talk about, but meant to. Uh, we had the, at the Beach Club this week at Abney Elementary. Uh, we've been talking about it for the last several weeks. Yeah, here's that, that's me dressed up as Moses in the back. Uh, yeah, I look like a terrorist. And... Um, <laughs> No, but we had, so the first week, yeah, here's me, and that looking quite as weird, but definitely looking a Tennessee fan. There you go, right there. So um, definitely not a Florida fan, all right? Um, and there we go. Here's us dancing around, making fools of ourselves, especially Scott McMath. And, um, but yeah, we had a great time. So the first, yes, and man, that was so good. And we'll tell you about that bacon real quick, y'all. No. Um, so anyway, we, uh, yeah, we had 76 kids. Uh, two Thursdays ago, right? Was it, was it that broke all-time records for the nation of the first week of the beach club? This past week, we had about a hundred kids. And we have five adults. Okay, now we have, now, uh, Maddie and Delaney McMath are there. They don't classify as adults. They're not quite there yet, right? They can't lead small groups, but they're helping out. Maddie was helping me. Maddie and I had the best group. It was the kindergarten and first grade little girls. Oh, man, I mean, they're so cute, y'all. They were like, Mr. Steve, oh my gosh, right, this is a great time. So we had a great time, about 100 kids, and, and we're at the place, let me just say this, we desperately need volunteers, okay? I know, I say desperately need, we would love to offer you an opportunity to give yourself to these kids. I mean, literally, half of these kids don't have a church home. We go into the worship part, and they're going, well, the little girls go, what is worship, right? And we just kind of talked about that. It was a really, really neat time to sit down and just share Jesus, be Jesus, love on the kids, 
the, the neat thing, I was talking to one of uh, Sarah, my little Sarah, her first grade teacher, and we were talking to her. She came up to me and found me. She's like, man, we've been talking about you guys in our teacher meetings with the principal. We sat down and talked about, man, y- y'all are doing a fantastic job. We've, and ta- the, pre- the principal was talking about how, thi- how smooth things were going. And basically all that was is there was just a great testimony of Vintage 242 in the public school system. I mean, you remember that whole separation church and state thing, right? It was this whole great thing. And all these teachers, like it was really funny. Anna Catherine and Sarah's teachers came in and showed up. They had one of their uh, daughters is actually in my group, right? And they just came in and watched. And I looked and says, you come with this spy on us or something like that? You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. But all this says, it's a really neat opportunity. So we desperately, I would say this, we would love to, uh, to have about five more people who could come and just volunteer their time, right? It's two to four every Thursday for about the next 20 weeks, right, until school is out. And so we've been talking here at Vintage about this need to go and make disciples, right? We've been talking about the biblical Jesus calling to get outside of your comfort zones, right, and to do something about making disciples, and we're just giving you a chance to be obedient to Jesus, right? So seriously, we'd love, if you if you're, have nothing going on or you can make space in your life to make this happen, Two to four, just come and love on kids, hang out with some cool people from Vintage, right? Hang out with the teachers and stuff. Yeah, it's just a really neat time. You get to wear some really cool orange shirts. Look at these kids just jumping up and down. I mean, it's just amazing. They're having a blast. And so, anyway, come and, and do that with us. That would be a, a great, great thing for us. Couple, the second thing is this. We are uh, in need of some volunteers in the Vintage Village uh, for a, basically, we do a month-long commitment, right? Just a month-long, go in a room at one of the services, 9, 11 o'clock. And right now at 9 o'clock, we have four openings we need to, we'd love to get filled. And so, uh, again, it's just for a month. You come in for the month of November, you serve, and then you can be done. Uh, but we need some people to come in and just help plug into to the older rooms at 9 o'clock, and that'd be fantastic. All right, well, let's jump in. So last, uh, for the last uh, couple of months... Uh, I've been saying every week, we've been talking about this call of God in Matthew 28, uh, the call that God has for every single believer, every person who calls themselves a Christian. If you were to say, hey, are you a Christian? You say, yes, I'm a Christian. Then I want to go ahead and tell you what God said about you. Matthew 28, he says, now listen, go make disciples, right? Go make followers of Jesus. Go make people who are growing into the likeness and the image of Jesus. Okay, so that's the idea. Hey, go make disciples of Jesus. And so we looked at a couple of things and said, first and foremost, you can't lead somebody someplace you've never been. Right, so we took the we took the discipleship litmus test and talked about what it meant to be a real disciple of Jesus, putting Jesus first in all things. And we talked about this this call then to give our lives away sacrificially and to to go love on others and to put others before ourselves. And so I encourage you, I can listen to the podcast over the last couple of months, just talking about what it means to be a disciple. So last week we said, let's do this then. Let's kind of take some practical steps and launch into the book of Philippians. We're going to look at the book of Philippians. Everybody just listen to me real quick. For the next several weeks leading up to the Christmas holidays and probably even past that, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. And the whole idea is this. Philippians was a letter written by Paul for the sole purpose 
of discipling the church in Philippi, in the city, right? He's writing this letter for the intention of helping them grow as disciples of Jesus, to, to become like Jesus. And he said, there's no better, I think there's no better way to really kind of flesh out discipleship than to figure out what Paul was telling people just like you and me, right? People in Philippi. And, and the thing I want to say, just to kind of, before we kind of launch in, is this. When we talk about discipleship and becoming like Jesus, discipleship is one of those big church words, right? You grew up with it, make disciples, and you think about these people who follow Jesus, and you think about that one poor soul, Judas Iscariot, made a fool of himself, right? And, and uh, I mean, all this stuff. And we have, so we start talking about discipleship and becoming like Jesus, and it becomes like this whole... I don't know, outside of your real life perspective, right? It feels like church world to you. So when you, when you leave, you say, that was a good sermon or not, right? Or that was a, whatever, maybe you, whatever you might say, that was a good sermon, and then you kind of just move on. But I want you to recognize that when we get into the life of Paul and talking to the church in, in Philippi, and he, and he comes and says to them, listen, guys, and girls, I want you to, men and women, I want you to recognize. This is what we talked about last week. Everybody just kind of pay attention to this because this was the launching pad for last week. Paul came and said, listen, let me, let me tell you who I am. We're Paul and Timothy, and we are doulosses of Jesus. Doulos is the Greek word for servant slash slave. And so Paul comes in, and, and he's, this, he's, a, like a, an, he's like a man among, he's a man among men, right? I mean, he is the founder of this church. He's an apostle. But he's like on the same level of like a Peter and a James and a John, the big guys, you know. And he's there and he's like a, and everybody looks at him as a spiritual father. And they have him on this pedestal. And they're like, man, Paul is awesome. And he sits down and he writes the letter. And the first thing he says, now before we get started, I want you to recognize. I know who you think that I am, but I want you to understand who I actually know that I am. And I've chosen to be. I am a doulos. I am a slave of Jesus, a slave of the lowest order, and I have no rights, and I have no right to my own will, my own purposes, my own desires, or even my own callings. I am 100% at the will of God and His purposes and His calling and His desires for my life. I know who you think that I am, but I want you to tell you, I want to tell you who I actually am. I'm just a slave of Jesus. And we said last week that, that half of the people, really 100% of the people who were sitting there, half of them had been slaves in their life, and the other half had probably owned slaves. And so they hear this language of do lost language, and they're going, are you serious? Paul's calling himself a do lost and and because he's supposed to be imitating him and following his lead, then we're to become do-losses of Jesus. And Paul would have looked back and said, if you want to thrive and ultimately be gratified and fulfilled in your life, then be a slave to Jesus. Because his purposes and his callings and his desires and his will for your life are perfect. And you have to recognize that these people had, listen, they were just like you. They had a lot of the same desires, right? I, mean, I remember being a college kid who was single, and all I wanted to do was have sex, right? It was a physical desire, right? You know what I'm getting at. Don't pretend like you're not in, 
Pretend like you're in the real world talking to real people, right? It's like you remember your desires, right? And you, you know you're sitting there to party and all you want to do is just get drunk or whatever. You have these desires. You have these desires to, to be number one and to be the best. You know what I'm getting at? These people had the same desires, right? They'd, they felt all the same things that you feel. All these great tensions inside of them, right? They got offended just like you got offended this week when someone didn't recognize you when they should have, right? All of these tensions inside of us, all of these desires, all of these longings, all of these things in us, they were feeling all of them. And and Paul looked at them and says, get rid of all of them. Get rid of all, give them to Jesus. It's about he must increase and you have to decrease. If you want to enjoy life, then die. Become a servant. Become a slave to Jesus, right? And all of them are doing exactly what you do, but I don't want to. Because it's hard. It cost me something. And Paul would look back and say, it is a paradox, my friends. To have the greatest joy in life, you have to have no will of your own but Jesus's. And if you want to thrive and enjoy life to its fullest, if you want to love God and enjoy Him forever, then give everything away. And it's even like this. I come to God and I say this. Jesus, these are your desires in my life. These are your dreams, and I give them back to you. And I say again that you are Lord over them, right? And so when Paul comes in and says, you've got to be a do loss, you've got to recognize, he's talking about every practical thing of life, and it's actually hard. I know it. Like, I say it, guys. I'm not up here going, man, it's so easy for me. Why don't you just follow me? I just give you this, super, this special spirit pill, and you take it and be real easy in life. No, 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 man. It's like you got to die every day. That's why it says a living sacrifice, according to Romans. Every day, I'm crawling up the altar. I'm dying to my desires, my dreams, my will, my purposes, and all that kind of stuff. And it's hard, but it's so satisfying. And if you don't understand that, then I ha- it's good news because there's something about Jesus you've yet to tap into. And that, my friends, is great news because there's a deeper place to go with him of sacrificing everything and being filled beyond imagination. So, we continue on. That was Romans. That was all Philippians 1.1. Okay? Be a new loss of Jesus. So, so anyway, we continue on. Let's go ahead and read it. I don't have my, the verses up here, so you have to just kind of roll through with me, okay? Starting in verse 3, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Here we go. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right. So now, is, now as the first verse says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now we find out in verse 4 that Paul's been praying for them. So 
as parents, we, you know, like Paul's a parent here, he's a spiritual parent uh, of the Philippian church, and, and so he has these memories. Now, all of us understand how these memories of children work who have grown children, right? Or even if we have young children, because when someone sits down and says, now tell me some of your favorite memories about your children. Those of you who have grown children, what do you do? Number, first and foremost, you think about that block of life you're not going to talk about. Right? Those difficult seasons, those difficult moments, you're like, I'm going to pretend like that didn't happen over here. But let's talk about these stories over here. So a lot of you tell stories about those, that age when they were just really, really cute and perfect and pure and innocent, right? When you would come home and, and they would see you and they'd come running out to you as you open the door. They would just jump in your arms and say, Mommy, Mommy, it's so good to see you. Like, I've been gone for 30 minutes. I just want to get gas in the car. But hey, it's good to see you too, right? And, and we had this whole excitement like in a when she came up to me, she's like, Daddy, Daddy, are you stronger than Johnny's daddy? And can you beat him up? And Johnny's dad's like six foot four, 300 pounds. I'm like, yeah, of course I can. I told him you could. I told Johnny how strong you are. You're the strongest guy in the whole world. I'm like, thanks, babe. Give me a hug, right? There's this whole dynamic that goes down. We remember these stories, right? I know I'm not that strong, but in her, in her eyes, I am. This is fantastic. That's why we love telling those stories. Because our memories with our kids are just, they're just fun. They're fantastic and they're powerful. So, when Paul comes along here in verse 3, he's having his memories, right? Because they were his spiritual children. He thinks about Lydia and how he went outside of the four walls of the city and said and found her doing this whole thing with cloth and, and just introducing and leading her to Jesus, right? And it's this fantastic... He's like, oh, I just remember that time with Lydia, right? And he thinks about the poor jailer. Remember the jailer in, in Acts chapter 16? He comes in. The jail shakes like this. The jailer wakes up and all the doors are open. And he goes, oh my gosh! And they go, we're here. And he sits there and has a memory of him freaking out and then having him going, what are you doing in here still? And just let me. And the jailer goes, tell me about Jesus. Tell my family about Jesus. And all of them come to Christ. And Paul's having this memory, right? And then he's thinking about that poor little slave girl, probably now some powerful leader in the church, who was filled with the demon, right? Completely demon oppressed. And Paul just named it. The demon came out. She was set free and probably became some powerful leader in the early church. And he's just thinking about the unbelievable life change that happened in her. And now he's just celebrating her life in this memory as he's sitting there praying, just going, oh my gosh, the Philippian church, y'all were so cute when you were young, right? Having this whole dynamic going down. But then verse 4 and 5 lead us into today. Uh Uh-oh. Is this going to be a good day we step into? Or is it going to be one of those frustrating, difficult days, right? We don't know what it's going to be until we get into verse 4. And it's said, and he comes and he basically says this. He says, I, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we recognize we're stepping into good memories Good present day memories that are being created because in the life of his spiritual children, we see that he has joy today. Why? Because they're partnered with him today just like they were in the beginning. And he's celebrating it. And he's celebrating it with joy of seeing their faithfulness. And we find in, in this the word that kind of, this kind of sticks out to us when he says partner. He uses the word partnership. So the word partnership has in mind the solidarity, 
right? One common vision, one common goal. This, this idea of a family and of true love, and, a, and a, it has this sense of friendship and equality. It's a powerful word because what Paul is doing is saying, listen, I'm looking at you. And you are my equals. You are my partners. We are walking in solidarity together. There's a friendship, partnership going on. And if he were to be honest with them, he would say, and I don't have this with everybody else. You see, in the book of, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, we see Paul start out with some good memories. And I think in chapter 2, he then launches into a defense of why he really is sent of God in their life. They basically, as children, come up and then begin to challenge him as their father. And he has to defend himself. And so he comes in and he names them. He says, my title for you is still father. The church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians, he calls himself father, not partner. And so we find here in this dynamic that there's something going down because Paul still is their spiritual father, right? He, they still should look up to him and honor him as spiritual father. He is still founder of this church and of this people group, right? But he's come in and he begins to speak this language and they go, what? Paul is calling us a partner? He's calling us an equal with him? He's calling us one who is a friend, who's walking in solidarity? This is a powerful powerful statement being made by Paul to the church in Philippians. Basically, listen to this. Basically, what he's saying is, he's saying, you've done a great job of discipleship. You've, been, you've done a great job of growing and being shaped into Christ-likeness. Remember, somewhere along the way in the New Testament, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Jesus speaking that to his disciples of saying, hey, listen, you're no longer these servants of mine. You are now my friends. This is a massive deal, right? And so Paul's coming along saying, you now are friends of mine. You've, you've moved up. And so the question is we're going to ask ourselves, so what was going on in the, in the, in the life of, of the disciples that caused Paul to look at them and say, you, I used to call you children. I used to highlight being your father. But now I'm highlighting you being friends, walking in solidarity as partners with me. What's going down? I think we can look at Scripture in Hebrews chapter 5 and begin to get a picture of what was going on in Hebrews chapter 5. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It may have been Paul. Probably wasn't. But it's somebody who's discipling and mentoring a a people, right? And they come in chapter 5, verse 11, and they say this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But listen, for the solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, those who were spiritual infants should be spiritual infants. Man, if you just gave your life to Jesus, and man, you're just now in this process of learning what it means to know Him and be in a relationship with Him, 
man, enjoy your spiritual infanthood. I mean, people are just, Jesus, God's just like doting on you and taking care of you and people are taking care of you. It's a great time. You should celebrate it. But could you imagine today me being, man, I'm literally just, uh, what's today's date? The 6th? Something like that. I'm, I'm eight days away from being 38, okay? So imagine I walk in here today as like late 37-year-old, and I walk up on stage, and I'm wearing a big diaper, right? I'm wearing a big diaper, and I'm wearing a bib, right? And I'm up here going, what's up, y'all? Right? With my big old bottle full of milk. Hey, you know? That would be really awkward, Let's just be honest, right? Even the mental picture right now is, just, is disgusting you. Let's just be honest, right? You know, like, why did he bring that up? That's so gross, right? But is that whole dynamic going down? If I were to walk up here today as a mature man coming up here, wearing a diaper and sucking on milk, you think, that, it, bad. I mean, that is odd, right? That something's just not right with him. And so the writer of Hebrews is coming and saying the same thing. Although you should be grown men and women by now, you're still sitting there wearing your diapers and your spiritual milk, and somebody's burping you from behind all day long, right? You should be grown up, but you are not. You should be grown up, but you are not. It's interesting now in my relationship with my dad. My dad, I mean, you know, growing up, I was completely 100% dependent upon him for everything, just like all of us were, right? I didn't have a job, so I couldn't provide for my own meals. I couldn't, or my own clothes, and I couldn't buy a house, and I was completely dependent upon him and my parents, even when I was much younger, right? If I didn't, they didn't provide food, I wasn't going to eat, right? There's a whole dynamic going down. But now, in my relationship with my dad, it's completely different. I still honor him as my father. He, I still look up to him. But when we talk now, we talk as peers, we talk on this, and all of you who have older children know what I'm talking about. There becomes this time in life where you actually begin to learn as much from your children, if you're willing to, if you'll humble yourself, you'll learn just as much from your children as they can learn from you. In fact, they may even learn more because they're, they have more energy because they're younger to be more zealous to go and learn things sometimes. You know what I'm getting at, right? So I'm not knocking anybody. It's just a reality. But comes this level of solidarity and of equality, of being a peer together, although, I st- although as children we still honor our parents and look up to them because we need to. That's what happens. And so what Paul is simply saying is this. He's saying, you, my friends in Philippi, well done. You've grown up. And because you've grown up, I now call you Partners. I now call you unequal with me in our team effort of moving forward. How many of you know that if you, if you are on a, you know, on, a, on a team of any sort or even on a, on a business team, when you're a, in your office you have someone who's a partner, they have to carry the same level of weight that you do, don't they? And if they don't, everyone suffers. And so what Paul is doing is he's coming, he's saying, I, tr- I trust you now to carry weight along with me because I've already seen you doing it. Therefore, I call you a partner, a peer, and an equal. What Paul is getting at is saying for everybody who's now reading this letter after the church at Philippi is the expectation that we all grow up. That we all mature in our relationship with Jesus. Because see, what happens here is this. Their maturity is simply their maturity of growing 
into Christ's likeness and being like him. They were investing their time. Listen, they were, they were investing their time and their energy into growing their relationship with Jesus, unlike the church at Corinth and the church in Thessalonica who were still on spiritual meat, meat still seeking spiritual milk and needed to grow up. And they probably basically came into existence around the same time on Paul's missionary journeys, several years separating them. But, but for the most part, they should have been mature and adult and adults. And so what we find in this is that Paul looking down, and I would say this in a practical sense, you, have a resp- you are responsible for your spiritual growth. You are responsible for your own personal relationship with Jesus and growing in a relationship with him. If you ever blame somebody else for your lack of spiritual growth, you know what that sounds like? A child. Children blame other people, not adults. Adults who are mature own it for themselves and say, you're right, it's my responsibility. I apologize. I will do better next time. Right? Children blame others. You have a responsibility in your own personal relationship with Jesus to invest into that relationship so it will grow. Yes, you get to do it. By God's grace, you get to do it in the context of community, in the context of family, so people can come alongside of you and help you in the process. But at the end of the day, when you get to heaven, you can't stand before him and you can't say, well, Todd, well, it was Todd's fault. Todd said this to me at church one time and it really hurt my feelings and now I never went back and it's his fault. And Jesus is going to say, sorry, I don't hold him responsible for your own spiritual growth. I hold you responsible. Are you serious? That's not fair. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? And Paul is coming saying, you've owned it. You've owned it. You've engaged it. Then he comes and he says in verse 6, but it's not solely your responsibility. Pull verse 6 up here for me, please, Eddie. It says this. Verse 6 says this. There we go. Being confident. Paul speaking. Being confident. He's confident of this thing. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Basically what he's saying is this. He's saying you initiate, but, it's, but God initiated it. Then you invest into it and then God brings it to completion. Jesus works in it. So it's like this. Galatians says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Your responsibility and then Christ will shine on you, right? It's our responsibility to engage and invest into our relationship. It's our responsibility to move forward in maturity. And it's Jesus' job to take what we're doing and cause it to be inflamed so that we actually grow. We do our part, and then Jesus goes the rest of the way. Our part small, his part is huge. But there's a partnership even in our growth and our maturity with Jesus. We have our part, and then Jesus has his part. We can't save ourselves. Jesus does it, but it's our responsibility to engage him in relationship and for Jesus to come and help us along the way with grace to succeed in what we're doing. So, Fantastic. Can we keep on moving on? Paul again and again in Scripture lays out this understanding of relationship, of partnership, and of solidarity. Just about, I'll give you seven verses just in Philippians that name this. Philippians 1.7, he calls them fellow sharers in the, in, the, in the good news. Fellow sharers, what does it say here? 
Uh, all of you share in God's grace with me, those last few words right there. We're fellow shares. We share with Him. It's a mutuality of sharing here. We see in, in Philippians 4.14, it says, You shared with me in my sufferings. I suffered, you suffered alongside of me. Philippians 1.27 says, We compete together. Go read it. We compete together as ones who are on the same team, right? We're carrying our weight. Philippians 2.17-18, he says, They calls us to rejoice together with Paul even as he rejoices together with us, with them, right? We're rejoicing together, this mutuality here. Philippians 3.10, Paul looks to be formed together with Christ, saying, I'm part, we're together, we're together, we're working this together, right? Paul, excuse me, Philippians 3.17, Paul calls the believers to become imitators together of Paul's example in the life of Christ. Basically says, imitate me together, right, as I imitate Christ. So there's this idea of, 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 of working together in solidarity, working together as a family. And Paul is naming that here with this language. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. So we keep on going on. We keep on going on. It says this. Let me, hold on, let me find this part right here. Now, <clears throat> the thing that caused gratitude for Paul and their partnership is found in verse 7. And I want you to see this. Verse 7. So it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Right? He's, just, he's one with them. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And so basically what he's saying is, this, so if I'm in chains, right, and being friends with me is not healthy for you, right, because I'm the bad guy, or whether I am free defending and confirming the gospel, you are still with me. Basically what he's saying is, is whether it's bad or whether it's good, you are still with me, sharing in life together. Basically what he says is this, there are no fair-weather fans in the church in Philippi. You don't just become, you're not just a good Christian when it feels good and everything's going well. When all hell has broken loose, you are still committed, you are still by my side, sharing in what God is doing in us in both places. This is why he has a gratitude, because even when he's in jail, they are still fighting for him, still loving him, still encouraging him, and still coming alongside saying, listen, you're our father, you're our partner, and we're never going to leave you. And then when he gets out of jail and all these great things happen, he's, they're still with him, celebrating and moving forward. What we find in the gratitude is he's, he has gratitude because whether it's thick or thin, whether in the bad or the good, they never turn away. And that, my friends, is a test of discipleship right there. Paul is looking for men and women who he says, hey, we're about to go through hell. I'm there with you, Jesus. It's going to hurt like hell, I know. But we're going to keep going, right? Of course we're going to keep on going. Fantastic, I'm with you. So, so we had this whole friendship thing going on. It's a great thing. They're with him through thick and thin. It's a great time, right? Paul's loving this. They're growing into the image of Jesus. See, what we find here is this. He's saying, be a doulos, be a slave. And in that, there's going to be difficult times and good times, but you have to invest into your relationship with Jesus, your primary time, your primary energy, and your primary resources, because in that, it causes you to mature and to grow and to be Jesus to other people and to give your life away. 
And as you grow and as you mature and as you partner with Jesus, great things happen. There's joy in your life. It may be difficult for a season, but he's looking for those who will partner with him, who have engaged Jesus, who have owned their relationship, who've done their part, and are now moving forward. And then he ends in verse 9 and 11. He says, now that you are doing this, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. And I want you all to write these things down because this is your homework for the week, right? I want you to pray. I want you to read Philippians, and I want you to pray these three things. Now, hear me say this. Pray these for others first, and then you can pray for yourself, okay? Pray for others first in these things, and then you can pray for yourself. And here's how Paul was praying for the church at Philippi. Starting in verse 9. Starting in verse 9. Verse 9 says this. says this. Paul, basically, Paul comes in and is praying for the very things that will keep them living a life of maturity in their faith. And he basically prays, he prays an increase, an increase of the love of Jesus in their life, right? An increase in the love of Jesus in their lives, right? He prays an increase that they would know the depths of of the love of the Father. And what we find is this. The increase of the knowledge of love is knowing Him more with our mind, of loving Him with our minds, loving Him with our hearts, with our emotions and our passions and our will, and uh, loving Him with our actions. Loving Him here in our head, loving Him here in our heart, and then loving Him with actions. True love of Jesus, true growth of love always leads to loving others. It always leads to actions. Love is taking root in your heart. You can't help but find yourself loving others, right? That's how it expresses itself. So that's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is discernment or knowledge in the steps to take in the life that will be Christ-like. Basically, it leads to discernment and knowledge. You see, in our lives, Paul praying, saying, listen, I'm praying that you'll, you'll increase in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? Because in our lives, it's imperative that we know what Jesus is calling us to in our relationship with him to be Christ-like. And so he's saying, I'm just praying that God would awaken this to you. I'm praying that your eyes will be open, that your ears will hear, that you will increase in this knowledge and depth of insight so that you can walk with Jesus. You can walk in Christ-likeness, right? And so he's praying, and he's praying that you will increase in discernment and knowledge and the steps it takes to be Christ-like. And the last one is he calls us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is simply the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. I pray that you love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, right? There's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He's praying. He's saying, man, I'm just praying. Woman, I'm just praying that you would be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All of these things. That's my desire for you. So that's the call of God for your life. Growing in maturity, growing in knowledge of Jesus, growing in your relationship, owning that, moving forward to be partners rather than infants, praying that you're, you would increase in love, increase in knowledge and discernment, and increase in the fruit of the Holy Spirit.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your presence with us. And Jesus, we're simply praying this morning that you would help us to grow in all of these ways, God, to be mature in our faith and our knowledge of you. And Father, we just declare this morning that it's hard in our own strength. I praise you. That's why you bring it to completion. Help us this morning to engage you fully. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, as we always do, we're going to end uh, with a time of worship and ministry time. But if you need to leave any time, you're free to go. As soon as I walk off stage, actually, you're free to go any time, really. But when I walk off stage, you can feel free to leave. If you'd like to, we have, we'll have a time of worship. Adam's going to lead us along here with Stevie. Stevie's going to lead us and, and just encourage you, if you wanted to stay and just be with Jesus, just soak in his presence, feel free to do that. If you'd like to get someone to pray for you, we have ministry teams available at the front to do that. If you'd like to take... Uh